The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hello, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thank you for joining me on Psych Up Live. Every day we are reminded and inundated with images and reports of physical violence in the form of terrorism, war, gang killings, shootings, sexual assault, and domestic violence. We know that these both terrify and at times desensitize us, and we know that they impact us physically and psychologically. But what about the subtle acts of non-physical violence in our daily lives? What is the impact of the daily slights that we've given or we've received, the microaggression, the stereotyping that has become automatic, the bullying in the workplace, teasing, postures of disdain, voiced or demonstrated in families, the schoolyard, the workplace, and relationships. Our show today is going to take a close look at the nature and impact of non-physical violence in our daily lives and invite strategies for preventing these subtle but violent assaults to people's sense of self. Our guest experts are Dr. Robert Klein and Victor Shermer. They are the co-editors of the new book, Violence in America, Group Therapists Reflect on Causes and Solutions. Dr. Robert Klein is a clinical faculty member at Yale School of Medicine. He is a fellow of the American Psychological Association and a past president and distinguished life fellow of the American Group Psychotherapy Association. He's done a tremendous amount of trauma training and response, and he's the author of more than 100 publications. Victor Shermer is a psychoanalytic psychotherapist in Philadelphia. He has served as founding director of the Outpatient Addiction Services at Miramont Treatment Center and faculty of the Institute of Psychoanalytic Psychotherapies. He is a life fellow of the American Group Psychotherapy Association and has been a continued consultant to their trauma work. He has edited and authored many, many articles and books. Bob Klein and Vic Shermer, it is my pleasure to welcome you both to Psych Up Live. Thank you, Suzanne. Okay, um, and I should also say it's my pleasure as your colleague and friend. So thank you again for coming on. Um, let's start by setting the scene. What do we mean? Maybe you could start, Vic. What do we mean by non-physical violence? Well, I think that we ordinarily associate the word violence with physical action where somebody physically assaults someone. But um, there's actions in our lives or inactions in our lives where we don't act, which assaults the sense of self of the person. Like last night, I went to a concert. It was in a big church in Philadelphia, and people were milling in, and there was a man standing there with a sign saying he was a Vietnam veteran asking for a handout. I went and spoke to this man, and I was very moved by him because we connected immediately when I talked to him. And then I realized that nobody else came up to him. He's all these people going to a spiritual place to hear spiritual music of Bach, and they paid absolutely no attention to this man. 
So that's a, that affects him, the way he feels marginalized in the society. And it ultimately causes damage to who he is, to his sense of identity and, and who he, who he, how he regards himself. So that's a very subtle form of violence. And there are many forms that that takes in our society where we don't even realize it, but we're being violent without physical violence. And then, of course, there's more obvious assaults on the self, like verbal bullying, uh, the way that people uh, criticize each other, say, in a workplace without any empathy, and so forth. Mm. Now, Bob, would you would you want to add some other examples? That's a very powerful scene of people just walking by that veteran. What other examples would you add that we all tend to overlook? Because think how many of us taking public transportation just walk past people holding signs uh, or someone who's a little bit different than everyone else. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I remember going down to... Uh, New Orleans uh, following Hurricane Katrina and uh, there was a a large uh, gathering of uh, experts in the trauma area that was sponsored by uh, SAMHSA, uh, the federal government, uh, Substance Abuse and Mental Health and uh, the conference was held in a very uh, luxurious uh, hotel that remained intact uh, after the uh, the bursting of the levees and the flooding and so on, and uh, not a single time were participants in the conference there talking about trauma invited to go out and visit people in the community, and it just struck me at how insulated and isolated we were from the very people we were trying to be helpful too. Mm. Now, it, it, it's interesting. They're, they're very powerful examples. I also think many people, and I know this has come up with some of my doctoral students, um, they can all be friends, but people feel often they're the victim of um, microaggression, which is a kind of insult or dismissal of someone who's who's in a marginalized or a ethnic or culturally different group. And the person who's doing it is really oblivious that their comment, people like that, those type of people, etc., or assumptions about people, could be assumptions about teenagers. Uh, why is every teenager asked to empty their pockets in some stores and no one middle-aged is? Why are seniors mm-hmm. expected to sit in a nursing home for sometimes too much time when they've rung a bell because, well, it's only a senior, or certainly they won't even understand. So, you know, we, we're we all culpable in some ways, but one of the reasons we're doing this show is because most of us do want our consciences raised about could we actually be doing, as Vic suggests, assaulting the sense of self of that senior, that veteran, those victims from the hurricane, without even intending to? Well, that, that's, well often, that's often what happens in what people refer to as uh, uh, microaggressions. That is, the person who's doing it is, is unaware of even doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Someone, someone looks at a, uh, uh, another student in the class and says, gee, you don't sound like a black man. Well, right. what, what does that mean? You know? mm-hmm. uh, or, or someone looks at a, an Asian American student and says, well, where are you really from? Um, taking away that person's sense of belonging and inclusion and marginalizing the person, not necessarily meaning to do so, not consciously intending to do harm, but nevertheless causing the person to feel denigrated or dismissed. Mm. You know, when we spoke before the three of us, I said, well, why were you suggesting that 
non-physical violence is in some ways just as dangerous, if not more, than the physical violence that we constantly see on the news that some of us have experienced. And one of you said, if you can't see it and you don't own it, you can't stop it. Exactly. And so, what would you say, what's actually the impact? I mean, how big an impact, I'll I'll play devil's advocate for a minute, Vic, how big an impact can non-physical violence really have? Well, in a sense, we don't know. We don't see it directly. It accumulates in our society, these microaggressions, and then at some point it may escalate into more serious kinds of violence. Uh, We just can't always trace it. I think we have to look at the causes of this. I think there are two causes. One is not knowing, which requires we raise our consciousness so that we are more aware of it. And the other is uh, we, our sense of self and identity comes from being special. So we have a sense of identity that comes from our status in society. So part of the way we maintain our self-esteem, not necessarily consciously, but is by considering ourselves better than others. It's a competitive society. So that infiltrates how we act and how we respond to other people without our really intending to do so. It simply comes from social norms. Mm-hmm. Um, I ha- had an experience with a patient that made me very aware of my ignorance. Uh, this patient was from a South American country, and we had done therapy for an extended period of time. And only gradually did I become aware that her cultural norms were very different from the ones that I was brought up in. And I had mistakenly assumed that she came had the same assumptions that I did about life. And then when we clarified that and we had an extensive discussion of it, uh, I was able to connect much more empathically with this patient. But we don't engage in those discussions enough. Mm. We we all we come from such a self-involved place that we assume everyone thinks, acts, and believes what we believe. And uh, that we that's live in the, our own silos. Yes, and we have our own belief systems, and sometimes fail to recognize that the other people around us are real people. They're not mm-hmm. just a compilation of our stereotypes and our our expectations and what they think, what we think they are. Mm. Now, one of the things that one of your writers, Nina Thomas, in your book mentions that I think it's worth sharing is the idea of humiliation and shame following from being marginalized or being the person in the office nobody talks to or the kid who uh, starts to be cyberbullied by other classmates or teammates. And we've seen... Actually, we do have studies that show us that chronic humiliation, that has been one of the factors associated with school shooters. The other thing I think is worth saying is that when you think that humiliation leaves a person feeling feeling tremendous shame and often rage, and that sometimes they can't feel they can restate their dignity without retaliation, some writers have said, we set the stage for radicalization or someone to feel a reason to join a gang or to somehow find a way to dismiss that humiliation by retaliation. And that's where, as you both implied, the, the, the non-physical violence can lay the seeds to actual violence. You know, if you feel marginalized dismissed, undercut, invalidated, and you feel you have no value in the society. It, it leads to feelings of not only alienation and loneliness, but a deep sense of resentment. And there's a wish to 
as Vic said, to restore your own sense of identity, your own sense of purpose and meaning. So sometimes there is the setting of the stage for violent retribution to restore your sense of power and meaning and place in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that... Um, I wanted to ask you about, and I know that you wrote about and presented on, is you talked about this context, this unconscious kind of um, covert violence that we might carry, that we picked up possibly from the media, from the way the culture celebrates power. Uh, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that. We only have a few minutes left in this section, but what is that context that you mentioned? Well, I, I um, think the context is the uh, uh, unspoken uh, norms of the society that we really don't talk about or explore, so we don't make conscious understanding decisions about how to relate to one another. Uh, I like the term from the French existentialists. They use the term the gaze, G-A-Z-E. It's as if we're being observed by others all the time and of course this is exacerbated by the social media today Uh, and we adjust our responses to people without even thinking about it according to how we think other people perceive us so that Mm -hmm. provides a context whether it's the context of uh the group, our peer group, or the context of the society at large that uh, leads us to behave in ways that we don't really think through and intend. Hmm. Mm. All right. I, well, I, I would add to that, Suzanne, that uh, you could think of this context as uh, stemming from our history and uh, our own sociology as a country. Uh, we we have a long history uh, based on uh, survival of the fittest uh, and uh, taking power and being dominant and being successful. And that goes all the way back to uh, the times of Columbus. Mm. Uh, the people who came here were were here because they were fighting oppression. And the, the model that emerged was the self-confident, assertive, independent, uh, John Wayne type of person who could take charge of his or her destiny, narcissism, self-accomplishment, all of those things were rewarded. Okay, and I'm going I want us to stay with this. We're going to take a brief break, but let's come, we'll come right back to power that's used and misused and and the social context. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. Today we're talking about the impact of non-physical violence. We're talking with Dr. Robert Klein and Victor Shermer. They're the co-editors of Violence in America. Group therapists reflect on causes and solutions. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you want to stay on the cutting edge of the bioeconomy, tune into TerraTech with host Jim Lane. Every day, new and substantial products are in our lives. What we wear, eat, and drink in our travels and in our health. TerraTech will spotlight these products and show you where and how they are being used. Listen for TerraTech live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join the innovators and the innovators and move forward. 
Where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com's social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurship? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric Easy Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking about non-physical violence with Robert Klein and Vic Shermer. They're writers, they're experts in this field. We were talking about, um, Bob Klein was talking about the impact of cultural norms over the years, the people who made it in this country. Does it mean and does it invite power and um, an attempt to survive and succeed? Must it always be at the cost of marginalizing and violating others? And then we were also talking about whether our fear from the overt violence we see in the media is actually making us more dangerous. Um, Bob, do you want to continue with that thread for a bit about the cultural norms? Um, sure. I, I think there's, a, there's an interesting paradox in our culture. That is, we, we want to embody um, the democratic principles, justice, freedom, liberty, and so on. And yet, we're, we're uh, uh, people who have been born out of the tradition of uh, uh, violent upheaval and the need to be uh, rugged individuals and to make our own way in the world. And on the one hand, we'd like to, as a country, I think, present ourselves to the world as the champions for democracy. And on the other hand, we have these disturbing things that don't quite fit with how we see ourselves. We, uh, we engage in various forms of discrimination. We uh, are prone to have uh, unequal uh, access to uh, Health care, we are prone to uh, label people as uh, illegal aliens. Uh, we, we discriminate and talk down to people and assert power while at the same time talking about very noble ideals. So mm. there's this, this paradox in our culture that we struggle with. Mm. What I'd like things- to add. Sure, go ahead. Go ahead, Vic. Um, I th- I'd like to add uh, kind of an insight into this whole problem, which is um, it's inevitable in life that some people will try to dominate others. A parent has to guide and help a child to develop, so they set certain rules, and they uh, there is a, a psychology of dominance and submission that's set up. That has to kind of be superseded as the child grows up with greater and greater equality, dialogue, and empathy between the parent and the child. 
when you have a society such as Bob describes, where it's built on dominance of one group by another, such as the you know the the uh, people that that founded our country dominated the Indians. Um, you have a situation where the dominant submission infiltrates everything we do and we lose the sense of empathy for people who are different so that a husband and a wife, male and female, get into a a situation where one is dominating the other. Uh, that's the basis of violence of all kinds. There is no violence without one person dominating another. Mm. Um, I, I have so a perfect example of that today. I was talking to uh, someone earlier today who was in a conflict with her husband, and she feels put down. She feels diminished. She feels she can't say what's on her mind. Her husband will become furious with her. So the two of them go into periods of silence where all the deep wounds and hurts remain below the surface, unverbalized. And then they flare up in instances of violent explosions of words or actions. But the issues never really get addressed. There's no way to talk and think and examine the relationship. Well, it's interesting that one of the things that we often don't talk a lot about that is an antidote to that kind of dominance is respect. And that is from... From schools to family, well, family's model to walking on the street and walking next to someone who's living on the street or looking at someone who's dressed very differently on the subway, the whole idea of respecting someone's individual difference and dignity and that that's Hmm. a piece of what we not only need to take for ourselves and should uphold, but that the idea that the kid who is maybe playing on the team but and isn't the greatest, is not someone to be bullied or teased because that person has his own sense of dignity or her own sense of what she offers that team. Um, being with kids with teams, sometimes the kid who's not the best shooter is the only one who knows the play. So mm-hmm. in, some, you know, in some way, though, with couples, if there's no respect in terms of both being in a horizontal relationship where they could both give and take with opinions and fighting is safe, we don't really have much of a relationship. Right. There's There's no way to talk about things. Mm. Mm. I disagree somewhat with that point of view. Yeah. I, I, I feel that what we call respect puts a distance between people. Uh, I feel like the appropriate thing is understanding and connectedness between people. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the barriers have to be uh, lessened between people. There has to be boundaries in a couple, but they have to also be able to really connect and understand one another. And I think that comes from seeing each other and themselves as human um, so I just think there's a slight difference in the way we use this terminology that the, the people have to uh, drop their guard a little bit and be vulnerable with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Difference doesn't mean necessarily danger. It could also mean, as you were suggesting, Suzanne, individual differences are associated with um, different areas of dignity and difference doesn't mean danger. We don't have to respond by getting angry and marginalizing the other person or dismissing the other person. As Vic said, staying in touch with their humanity, not their hostility, is the important part. Well, we would hope 
that if someone could actually put themselves <clears throat> in the shoes of the other person, the other kid in the class or the, the other spouse, we would not only have the understanding, but we would have respect for dignity. We would probably, you know, it's terminology, but we're, we're really suggesting that one of the things that's happening in non-physical violence is the experience of the other person as the other and not yes. as, uh, you know, an equal person to be known and to be understood or to be um, cared about in some way. Now, one one thing I just wanted to mention, and then let's talk about strategies, is I wondered if we're also frightened that the other thing that's driving our tendency to marginalize, and we see what happens in airports and profiling, is that we're so frightened that we become somewhat dangerous in our stereotyping and marginalizing in an attempt to keep ourselves safe. Yes. Well, I, I think that also relates very much to the bystander effect. Okay. That so we become so protective out of our fear of what's going on that in situations where we could act and help others, uh, we ignore them for our a sense of our own safety or, or uh, uh, comfort. I think these that's are hardwired responses. We all have these tendencies to fight, flight, and freeze in response to situations or people we think of as threatening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's so important what you're saying. We had... We had a college group on a show. They did the Green Dot program, and they it was exactly what you're saying. Young people wanted to do something as bystanders in terms of sexual violence on campus, but they were very anxious and frightened and actually didn't know what to do. And once they got some actual training in how maybe you're too frightened to go up to a guy who's manhandling or verbally screaming at a woman or trying to get her drunk but maybe two of you could do that or maybe you don't take someone on face to face but you tell someone who looks like he's creating a problem that his car is being towed or you do something that makes you feel or you or you just join next to stand next to someone who you think might be having a rough time so it's what you what you say is true let's talk a little bit about stepping up in prevention and that is many would like to do it but they are frightened, just as you both said, and their own fight, flight, or freeze. Like, I wish I could say something to this woman who's hitting her child, but I don't even know what I would say. So it's very understandable that that's why maybe we do have to make some suggestions and consider how do we recognize and prevent nonverbal, non-physical violence? What are some of the things people could do? Well, Well, what you were suggesting earlier was, uh, first of all, if you're aware that you've done something that has shamed, injured, hurt, humiliated, or devalued someone else, that you try to own that. Mm. You acknowledge that you've done that. That, I think, sets the stage for any attempt to do reparations and to begin to try to restore the relationship. So first you have to recognize and acknowledge it. Then you have to make apologies and you have to ask for, seek forgiveness. And the other person, the person who's been done to by the doer, needs to be able to accept the apologies And then you need to begin working on how to normalize the relationship where each person enjoys some sense of appreciation and value and doesn't feel minimized or stigmatized. So those would be initial first steps. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no doubt that one of the goals of an apology is to reset the dignity of the other person and reset it from being a vertical relationship where I'm talking down to you, Bob, yeah. to one in which, gee, I, I'm, was I talking down to you, Bob? I, I don't even know if I meant to do that, but I didn't mean to do that. I apologize. So that sort of resets it. 
it's we want this to happen. It's something people really have to think about in terms of why they wouldn't do that. Sometimes people can do it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think one of the reasons that, you know, we don't do it is because of learning. It's, you know, uh, if you watch parents and children, some parents encourage their children to take stands and uh, to assert themselves in the interests of other people. Uh, and that helps them. The, the, the wiring that hap- happens when we're children carries over into adult life very strongly. So I think the stage is set in the process of learning to be a person. Um, and I think this educational idea is very, very important. Uh, I saw a website from a town in Australia that has helping guidelines for people in the town to come forth if they witness abuse, various Mm. kinds of abuse. And they give suggestions and they help understand what the problem is, how to approach the person involved, um, and who to contact if there is a problem that doesn't resolve and they're educating people in that town to do things differently than they have in the past. So mm-hmm. you see a lot of teaching and learning in various different contexts, like there are dialogues between Holocaust survivors and the children of former Nazis that are very productive in bringing people together and a new kind of understanding of, of what these problems are about. So we need to open well, up a dialogue uh, in this area. Yeah. We, we just have another moment. Well, did you want to say something quick, um, Bob? Yeah, I was just going to emphasize uh, the point that Vic is making, the importance of dialogue. If we can get things out on the table and begin to talk to each other as human beings, the likelihood of resorting to violence is lessened. Okay, we're going to come back. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Bob Klein and Vic Shermer. We're at the moment talking about strategies to prevent and in some ways undo um, and restore dignity after non-physical violence, the microaggressions, the um, teasing, the bullying. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. 
Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We've been speaking about non-physical violence. And one of the things that's come up in the show, and actually it's, it's one of the themes of the show, is that the small but persistent teasing, the uh, microaggression, they may seem small, almost dismissible, or something that could be de- disavowed. But we're talking about the assault that the non physical, seemingly small act could have on a person's sense of self. When it's chronic, when it becomes cumulative, it's dangerous not only to the person who keeps doing it, the perpetrator, but to the person who's experiencing it. Well, in this section, we're going to talk about the fact that small is big in terms of remedying that also. So let's talk about how can our listeners, if they do self-reflect and consider, hmm, Maybe I really do this, or maybe I'm not even helping my children see it. What can we invite them to consider as some of the measures to prevent the non-physical violence? Well, I think a simple thing that everybody can do is when you look at any person, someone on the street, your spouse, uh, your best friend, uh, someone who offends you, Try to see them with a fresh eye. That you never you try not to impose your assumptions, but just experience them as they are, as they come to you. That often opens up a lot of possibilities for engaging the person in a good way. We so mm. often impose our assumptions immediately when we see somebody. And if we can back off that for a moment and look at each person in a fresh way. Somebody once said, like, when you see somebody that you're friends with and you saw them yesterday, that person is a completely different person today than they were yesterday. It's so great. look at each other as if we've never encountered each other before with a fresh vision. That's a great that would, suggestion. That would include... Yeah making eye contact mm-hmm. and addressing yeah. addressing the other person with some level of dignity and respect. Yes, yes, it's a great... We even know that when couples are fighting, if they're making eye contact, the violence drops. It's very much more... It's more difficult to say terrible things to people you are looking yeah. at. But yeah. I love this idea because it means you won't dump stereotypes, the old fight from five years ago, um, um, images you have from the media. You'll be seeing the person, as you're saying, in the moment. Yeah. Yes. In Judaism, there's the idea that a Messiah may come in the form of a, a vagrant or a homeless person or a tramp. You never know. Uh Each person Uh could be the savior for the world. Mm -hmm. So if we were to encounter any new person with that idea, with that level of openness, that would be a wonderful thing. Mm. It's terrific. One of the things both of you mentioned when we spoke before is the impact of the random and unexpected act of kindness. One of the things that I remember giving as, as one of my examples was 
a friend of mine who was in a ladies' room in a uh, airport heard a little girl, a teen, say to someone on the phone, I'm afraid to leave the bathroom because there's a guy outside and I don't know how I'm going to get past him. He's been following me to get to the gate to meet my parents. And my friend, thinking this could be anybody's daughter, said, excuse me, would you like to come with me and my husband? We're going to walk to the gate. And the young woman said yes, and sure enough, when they walked out that door, there was someone waiting for this young woman, but as she told me, he was surprised to see that this young woman was accompanied, you know, by her and her spouse on either side. That's that's a random act of protecting someone you don't even know. Yeah, and there are policemen now who consider themselves part of their community, and they go into the community to help somebody just as one human being to, to another. Mm-hmm. So those are acts of kindness. And also as therapists, uh, it would be nice if we did random acts of kindness for patients, like the way that we greet them. Um, uh, you know, the idea of the opaque therapist who is completely professional and doesn't have any responsiveness to the uh, patient, as we overcome that, we naturally respond to their grief. We naturally respond to their anger. We uh, show our own humanity, and that's a, for a random act of kindness, to show our own humanity to the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you can do that with people you come across in your daily life. Yesterday, I, I went to have lunch between patients, and it was uh, a few days after Mother's Day, and I go to a deli that's run by three sisters, and they're they're always frantic and rushing, and there are lines forming, and they're sweating, and they're running around like crazy, so I, I bought them a bouquet of flowers. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's and, just the and kind of the, thing. the gal behind the cash register said to me, You've made my day. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you did. That's lovely. One of the things that I guess I want our listeners to know is that sometimes, and this happened in a work situation, when we had done research on workplace bullying, someone's being bullied, humiliated in front of the other employees, and the other employees can't lose their jobs, so nobody's speaking up to this manager. But after the fact, your flowers reminded me of this, The next day, the person who had been humiliated found flowers on her desk with a note that said, Mm -hmm. we know what he's like, and we're with you. Mm -hmm. And we know Mm -hmm. from all the trauma work that the three of us have done that connection is healing. Even if you know the other kids on the team agree with you that the coach is a bully, even though that manager is obnoxiously bullying and nobody can actually do anything legally because bullying can seem to go under the radar, just knowing you're not alone is a powerful antidote to the impact of non-physical violence. I, I couldn't agree more with that, Suzanne. The last time we talked, I, I brought up the example of the, uh, the Canadian, uh, uh, the response of the Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau after um, that uh, um, mass shooting that occurred up in uh, Quebec City in January. Uh, Trudeau addressed uh, more than a million Muslim Canadians on the radio, and he said, 36 million hearts are breaking with yours. Know Mm -hmm. that we value you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That was such a different response from the way, for example, President Trump has responded to Mm -hmm. people from Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing that fits with that, and we've even done research on this, is we tend to be trained these days to look away from other people, to look down, everybody's on their phone. But the power of a smile um, at anyone of any age in different places is is, is really 
I think it shows respect and dignity because it means I feel like I want to make a warm gesture to you. And if I'm the recipient... I want to connect. Yes. Yeah. So if I'm the recipient, I feel like, well, then I must be okay if that woman or if that gentleman smiled at me. Um, I think that some of the some of the things that we're mentioning, they start out with what Vic you started out with with self reflection. What are we doing, and are we, without realizing it, embarrassing, insulting, or distancing ourselves from people, and that does have an impact on them? And what could we do instead, even in very small steps? Yeah, I, I think the the. Uh Emotion involved, and in, in, in this is shame. I think that when we avoid the gaze, uh, when we avoid looking at another person, we see this with children, that if we avoid looking at them, they feel shame. So when we make contact, we reduce shame. And I mm. think that's very important in healing the wounds that we're all carrying around. Absolutely. And being aware that we're all carrying around wounds is also very, very crucial. It's so very well said. contact, reducing shame and promoting dialogue, putting voice to the things that have hurt or injured us. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing is that uh, we, you know, we do have to take care of ourselves in this world. It's not an easy world to live in. So we also need good boundaries and good ways of uh, of relating where we take care of ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But you can take care... Care... Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think that we need a balance when we approach another person. We have to be prepared for rejection. We have to be prepared for misunderstanding. Because all these things are part of what we we all are going through every day. So we need to take take care of ourselves as we help others. Okay, we're just about out of time. I think the message has been um, don't overlook the fact that small acts of non-physical violence hurt and create pain and even more violence at times. On the other hand, you have within your power to connect with people even as you protect yourself but you don't want to protect yourself in a way that violates somebody else you've been listening to psych up live i want to thank both bob you bob klein and vic Vic Shermer, for all the work you've done in this field for your many many articles and books on trauma and violence anyone who wants to read more about their i mean many many books and and articles you can go to the American Group Psychotherapy Association. That would be agpa.org. And you can go to the journal, and you will see their names in many, many places. I want to thank both of you for coming on. I want to thank our listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, on the podcast apps of iPhone, iTunes, under Voice America, Psych Up Live. This show will be a podcast, a permanent podcast, um, by 6 o'clock this evening. Please remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly, until next week, please take care of yourself and others. Thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week.